Let's begin together in prayer. Let's ask God to help us to understand his word. Our Father, as we do come to your word together now, we pray that you would have mercy upon us, that you'd give us ears to hear, that you'd give us minds that understand, that you would give us hearts that believe, and that you would give us the will to live according to this, your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there is something really quite unique about us human beings, a unique trait that you won't find in any other of God's creatures that walk this earth. It's that quality deep inside us that drives us to acknowledge greatness, something profound, something innate within us, which means that when we see something that is particularly outstanding, we've just got to say so. We know that it's right and good to give credit where credit is due. We know that it is right and good to give praise where praise is due. Think back over 2008 with me and you'll see what I mean. There was the Academy Awards, that time when we acknowledged cinematic achievement. And this year, of course, the Oscar for the best motion picture went to No Country for Old Men. At the TV Week Logie Awards, this year, the Gold Logie went to Kate Ritchie, acknowledging her 20 years as an actress on the television soap Home and Away. Now, that's some achievement. In the field of music, there was the Aria Awards. And this year, it was the Presets who were awarded with both the, both the best group of the year and the best album of the year. In the world of sport, there was the Kiwis being awarded the Rugby League World Cup. Let us never speak of it again. <laughs> Less forgettable was Michael Phelps at the Beijing Olympics, winning a record eight gold medals in the pool. And most recently, Time magazine awarded its prestigious Person of the Year honour to President-elect Barack Obama. All these people were recognised in 2008 for greatness in their specific field. You see, there is something within us human beings that drives us to acknowledge greatness when we see it. We know that it's right and good to give praise where praise is due. Well, Psalm 113 is a psalm which calls upon people to give God the praise that he is due. It's a psalm that calls upon people to recognise that God is great and that it's right and good for us to acknowledge his greatness. But what's clear from the outset of Psalm 113 is that it's not a call to praise any old God. No, it's quite specifically a call to praise the God of Israel. It's a call to praise the Lord, the Lord, the one who made promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The Lord, the one who revealed his, himself by name to Moses. The Lord, the one who made a special covenant with his people, Israel, calling them into his loving service, calling them to be his servants. Yet it's clear from the outset of this psalm that it's not a call to praise any old God. Quite specifically, it's a call to praise the Lord. Read with me uh, from the beginning of this psalm, Psalm 113, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. 
You see, there are lots and lots of so-called gods in this world. But this psalm is a call to praise just one of them. It doesn't call us to praise Baal. It doesn't call us to praise Dagon or Osiris or Horus. It's not a call for us to praise the god Zeus or Hercules or Krishna or Ganesha or Vishnu. Nor is it a call to praise Caesar or Allah or any of the other thousands upon thousands of so-called gods that are currently worshipped or have been worshipped over the centuries. No, this call to praise is a call to praise just one God, the Lord, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel. But this psalm doesn't just call upon the people of Israel to praise God. No, it's actually a universal call, a call that transcends both time and space, a call that goes out to all people everywhere, throughout the ages, from the place that the sun rises to the place that the sun sets, from east to west, from now forevermore, it's a call to praise this God. Let, let's uh, read together uh, verses 2 and 3, 2 and 3. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. It's interesting, isn't it, to think back about the people that we have praised this past year. Think again of the Beijing Olympics. We all know who it was that won the most gold medals there. It was Michael Phelps. Did an awesome job, didn't he? Winning more gold medals at the Beijing Olympics, more than anybody else. But here's the thing. Is there anybody here tonight that can remember who it was that won the most gold medals, let's say, just 12 years ago at the Atlanta Olympics? Anybody here tonight remember who it was that won the most gold medals there? Everybody remember Amy Van Dyken? Everybody re No, quite a few shaking heads. You see, it's amazing, isn't it, how with time the achievements of this world seem to fade from our memory. And you know what? Give it a decade or two and ask people if they remember Michael Phelps and there'll be lots of shaking heads then too. But Psalm 113 is a call for people throughout the whole of history to praise the Lord. It's a call for all generations to give God the credit is due now and forevermore. It's also a call for all people everywhere to praise him. Think again of this year's TV Week Logie Award winner, Kate Ritchie. Pretty much everybody has heard of Kate Ritchie, this uh, star of Home and Away. Everybody's heard of her. Well, at least pretty much everybody here in Australia. But jump on a plane and head on to, over to India. Walk down any old street in Calcutta. Walk up to a random person there and ask them, do you agree with this year's awarding of Kate Ritchie with the gold Logie? And see what they say. You know what they'll say? They'll say, who on earth is Kate Ritchie? And what on earth is a Logie? You see, the thing is, the praise that we offer people, it's generally restricted by where we live. It's geographically restricted. 
But the call to praise God in this psalm, it's a call for all people everywhere to praise the God of Israel. From the rising of the sun to the place that it sets, from Chatswood to Calcutta to New York to London to you name it. Everywhere. So you see Psalm 113 is a call to praise the Lord. And there is something, something very appropriate about that praise filling all time and space. It is praise on the grandest of scales, isn't it? But why? Why? Why is there a call for praise on this magnitude? What makes this particular God worthy of endless and and, and universal praise? Well, the rest of the psalm tells us exactly why. In fact, it gives us two reasons as to why the Lord is worthy of endless and universal praise. Firstly, we're told that he's worthy of this kind of praise because he is highly exalted. He is highly exalted. In other words, he's really, 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 really great. Think of the greatest thing you can from among the nations here on earth. What is the greatest thing that you can think of? Well, God is greater. Think of the greatest thing you can from from the heavens above us. Well, God is greater. That's why he's worthy of such praise. Read with me verse 4. Verse 4. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory above the heavens. So what is the greatest thing that you can think of from among the nations here on earth? What's the thing that comes to your mind? Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a a king or a queen. Maybe it's a a prime minister. Maybe a a president. Maybe it's the, the collective strength of an army. Maybe it's an organization like the United Nations. Maybe it's the intellect of a scholar. The creativity of an artist. In your mind, what is the greatest thing that you can think of here on earth? Well, maybe in your mind the greatest thing here on earth isn't human, but a part of the world itself. Perhaps it's the mighty power of the sea. Perhaps it's the majesty of our highest peaks. The grandeur of a waterfall. The energy, the force of an almighty storm. Or perhaps it's just the incredible wonder of life itself. What is the greatest thing that you can think of from among the nations here on earth? Well, the thing that you need to keep in mind is this. That the Lord is more powerful, more noble, more wonderful more superior, more intelligent, more creative, more magnificent, mightier than any or all of these things combined. The Lord is exalted above the nations. And as verse 4 tells us, he's even more glorious than the heavens. Think for a moment about the glory of the heavens above us. Ever since I was a little kid, I've always been fascinated by the night sky. I've always been fascinated by what's out there. Um, This year for Christmas, Beth bought me a a tour of the Sydney Observatory. I'm very excited about that. (laughs) I've always wanted to go and now I've got a reason to go. I've always been fascinated with what is out there. 
You know, to think even of our own planet Earth. What a magnificent piece of work this is. And massive. 40,000 kilometres. That's the circumference of the Earth at the equator. 40,000 kilometres. Magnificent, isn't it? Well, that is, uh, until you consider that the largest planet in our solar system, Jupiter, this is Jupiter on the right, this is the Earth on the left. Did you know that Jupiter is so big that you could fit 1,317 of our own Earths inside it? Extraordinary, isn't it? That is, until you think about the size of our mighty sun. That's the sun on the left. That's our Earth at the end of that little arrow there. Did you know that we could, you could fit over a million Earths inside our sun? Just incredibly impressive, isn't it? That is until you realise that our sun is actually just an average-sized star in a galaxy made up of something like 100 billion stars, which is just mind-blowing. That is, until you realise that scientists now approximate that the universe is made up of something like 125 billion galaxies. It is the glory of the cosmos and it is absolutely stupefying. That is, until you realise that beyond the cosmos is the glory of heaven itself and the glory of all the heavenly hosts who live there. And when I consider that, then suddenly I need a couple of Panadol and I need to lie down for a little while. And yet, you know what? As glorious as the heavens really are, they are nothing compared to the glory of God himself, whose glory, we're told, is above even that of the heavens. Now are you getting the picture as to why the Lord is worthy of endless and universal praise? Because he is far, far greater than everything and everyone. He is highly exalted and he shares this position of exaltation with no one. There is no one like him. The psalmist asks the question, who is like the Lord? Is there anyone like him? Anyone who is exalted like he is exalted? Anyone as great as him? Anyone enthroned on high like he is? And then with imagery that I find completely breathtaking, the psalmist describes God as being so very, very, very great that he needs to stoop down just to look upon the heavens and the earth that he has made. He needs to bend over to look upon the heavens and the earth that he has created. Read with me from verse 5. Verse 5. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. It is a breathtaking image, isn't it? As, as astoundingly grand as the creation is, the Lord is grander still, so grand that he has to bend over just to look at it. You know, I get this picture of him there with the whole of creation in his hands and he's squinting just to look upon it. Breathtaking. Of course, the answer to the psalmist's question is, is so obvious, so obvious that he doesn't even have to answer it. Now, of course, there's no one like the Lord. There is no one like this God. 
He alone is exalted above all. And so, yes, Psalm 113 is a call for the endless and universal praise of the Lord. Why? Well, firstly, because the Lord is exalted above all. He is exalted above all. And secondly, as we'll see, it goes on to say now, it is a call for the endless and universal praise of the Lord because he is the Lord who cares for the lowly. He cares for the lowly. I don't know about you, but when I spend time thinking about the glory of this creation, when I spend time thinking about the cosmos and everything that is up there, I can't help but feel somewhat insignificant in the scheme of things. When I think about the size of the universe and all that's out there, I realise that I realise I am nothing but a speck of a man. A speck of a man on a speck of a planet in a speck of a solar system inside a speck of a galaxy, inside a speck of a universe when it is compared to the Lord. When I consider that the glory of God is so, so great, he needs, just, he needs to stoop down just to look upon his creation. Well, I feel very, very, very small indeed, quite insignificant. That's why I find the end of this psalm quite astonishing. Because in the final part of this psalm, we see how this mighty, mighty God intimately knows and intimately cares about the people of this earth. In the final part of this psalm, we see how the Lord cares for the lowly, how he is the God who cares for people in need and how he helps them. The psalm tells us that God sees the people who sit in the dust of the earth. You know, he sees people who are in need. He's the God who sees people sitting in the ash heap, people who are really in need. The psalm tells us that he's the sort of God that sees people like this and then lifts them out of the dust, lifts them out of the ash heap, raises them up to seat them on the thrones of princes. As I hear this, I can't help but think of David, David from the Old Testament. You know the stories, David the little shepherd boy, David the runt of his family, David the one who mighty Goliath scoffed at, I can't help but think of how the Lord was with this poor, insignificant boy, how he made him into one of Israel's greatest kings, renowned in all the land. See, David is an example of how the Lord cares for the lowly. The psalm also tells us that he is the God who cares for the barren woman. He sees the barren woman. He sees the pain in the heart of the barren woman. She cannot have children. And so the psalm tells us that he is the sort of God who gives her children. He turns her sorrow into joy. I can't help but think in the Bible of women like Sarah and Rebecca and Hannah and Elizabeth, all women who could not have children, but God turned their sorrow into joy. He gave all of them children. See, he really is the Lord who cares for the lowly. Read with me the final two verses uh, of this verse, final three verses, from verse 7. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. 
he gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. No wonder this psalm ends with one final exhortation to praise the Lord. He is the God who cares for the lowly. Not that this psalm is in any way a promise that he will take all poor, needy people and turn them into princes. No. Nor is it a promise that he will give children to all barren women. No. But what this psalm does give us is a picture of the sort of God we have in the Lord. For he is the mighty, mighty God who stoops down and looks at his creation. And yet as great as he is, he is also the God who cares intimately for little specks like you and me. Our concerns, they matter to God. Our welfare matters to God. Our tears matter to God. Yes, in this psalm we see that he is the mighty, mighty God who loves little specks like you and me. Don't you find that awfully humbling? No wonder this psalm ends with one final exhortation to praise the Lord because he is really, really worthy of endless and universal praise because he is the exalted Lord and he is the Lord who cares for the lowly. And so this evening I want us to finish by spending just a few moments thinking about how it is that the exalted Lord has cared for us thinking about how our great God has taken care of our needs. And of course, as we think about this particular question, we can't help, can we, but immediately think of what he has done for us in his son, Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. That the exalted Lord has looked down upon little specks like us and has seen our greatest need, the need for the forgiveness of our sins. And he's done something about it. He's looked down upon us and he has seen our lowly state. Not that we were lying in the dust, no. Not that we were lying in an ash heap, no. Friends, we were much lower than that. We were lying in the grave. Dead in our transgressions. To think that through Christ's death and resurrection, he's taken us from the grave and he's lifted us up. Not to be seated upon the throne of princes. No, he's raised us up much higher than that. He has raised us to be seated before the very throne of God. God has lifted us out of the grave and he's raised us. And he will one day lavish upon us all the riches of the glories of heaven. Read with me how the Apostle Paul puts that in Ephesians chapter 2 where we read, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
Yes, as we think of the way that God has cared for us, we can't help, can we, but immediately think of all that he's done for us through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And we can't help but be drawn to praise him for it. We have a great, a great and merciful God. But of course, friends, more than just our salvation, God has cared for us each and every day of our lives, hasn't he? Every single day, the exalted Lord has stooped down to look at you, to see what your needs are today, and to give you every good thing. Of course, here we are at the end of another year. I reckon it would be quite appropriate for us to stop, to pause, to think for a moment, to think back over the last 12 months, over 2008, and ponder for a moment how it is that the exalted Lord has cared for you. First, let's think back over 2008 and consider how it is that he has cared for us as a church. Friends, do you remember how it is that he has nourished us with his word this year? Can you remember all the way back to the Gospel of Mark we spent many months looking at together? It was a good time, wasn't it? Remember all the sandwiches? Remember how we saw so clearly that Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many, including us? Remember the Tulip series? Remember the way that it blew our minds, how we really struggled together to understand these really difficult concepts, these wonderful concepts? Remember the book of Ecclesiastes, do you? I hope so. It was only two weeks ago that we finished that one. Remember how it changed our perspective on life in so many ways? Remember that? As a church, I reckon we can think back and think about how the way God has grown us as a church. You know, we've got three services as of this year. Wonderful. Look around you here tonight. Not many people here tonight. Many people away on holidays. Well, you know what? It wasn't all that long ago before. This was a good night. This was a good night. We can think back and think of the godly elders that he has blessed us with. We can think back in the way that he has gifted so many people in our church and the way that this year in particular we've seen many people stepping up to the mark and using those gifts for the good of our church. We think of the way that he has blessed us this past year you know, as part of the wider church. Men, you remember way back when, when we went to the men's Katoomba convention? It was a good time, wasn't it? Women, you remember the Women's Equipped Conference? We think of the wonderful student ministers and their families and the way that he always blesses us through them. Remember the fellowship of our church camp? We think of our committee of management and the hard work they've done on our behalf and all the progress they've made on the property development. We think of in the morning this, that we've got this flourishing kids' church now and a flourishing youth ministry. We think of the NT mission at the end of the year and the fruit that it bore. We, th we think of the growth in our church, both numerical growth and spiritual growth. Yes, friends, as a church, we can look back over the last 12 months and we can see how, how our great, great God has cared for us. And yes, we can praise him. And as individuals too, friends, we can look back over the past year and we can acknowledge God's goodness to, to us in so many, many ways. I wonder how it is that he has cared for you this past year. 
Kept you in a job, has he? Kept you safe this year? Kept you healthy? Blessed you with a place to live, has he? Given you good friends, old and new? Given you lots of good stuff, like washing machines and cars and refrigerators and Nintendos? Have you enjoyed a holiday this year? Did you get married this year? (laughs) Did you have kids this year? Did you enjoy your kids this year? Enjoy your grandkids? Were there people around you who helped you out when you needed a hand? Were there prayers, your prayers answered in some particular way? Was there spiritual growth in your life? If so, friends, if you can say yes to any of these different things, then friends know that it is only because the Lord, the one who is exalted above the heavens, the one whose glory is above the heavens, has stooped down and has cared for a little speck like you and a little speck like me. Yes, there is something deep inside us human beings that drives us to acknowledge greatness. Something about us where we've just got to give praise, where praise is due. But as we've been reminded this evening, it's the Lord alone who is worthy of endless and and universal praise. Because he alone is exalted above all, and yet he intimately cares for people like you and me. Taking us from the grave given us seats in heaven. Every day he's given us good things as a church, as individuals. So friends, let's praise him. Let's finish this year as we should. Let's praise him. Let's praise God. And let's encourage one another to praise him all the more in 2009 because we know he's really worth it, don't we? Let's pray. Our Father, we acknowledge now that all eternity is not long enough to give you the praise that you are due, that you are the great God, the exalted Lord, more glorious than anything else in all creation. Father, you are so far above us, it is difficult for us to comprehend And yet, Father, we know that you're not a remote God. You're not indifferent to us. We acknowledge that you deeply care about us. Thanks, Father, that we see that most clearly in your Son, Jesus, who has taken us from the grave and has raised us up to the heights of your throne. We praise you that each and every day you watch over us and you fill our lives with good things, You see our tears. You know our concerns. You give us what is best for us. Lord, in all this, we know that you are worthy of all our praise. And so we pray now that we would praise you with all that we have today, throughout the new year, and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.